Welcome to Season 7 of American Political History, The Dominion of New England, Introduction. King James II, formerly known as the Duke of York, will begin a project of consolidating New England into an English colony, directly ruled by the Crown. This was an experimental precursor to the colonial system of the English Empire. This decade of direct rule would give us a very different version for a future of the American colonies. The King's advisors within Whitehall viewed the problems of the colonies, the revolt in Virginia, Massachusetts' petulant behavior avoiding the Navigation Acts, and the inability for colonies to sustain themselves financially as only being solved with a drastic reorganization of the colonies themselves. King James II would allow the Lords of Trade within Whitehall to start the proceedings to remove the Charterites from all of the wayward colonies in New England. This reorganization into the Dominion of New England would stretch from the Delaware River in the south to St. Croix in the north. All local representative assemblies would be suspended. The Crown was now imposing its will upon its colonies. Along with the reorganization of the political power in New England, the American colonies would be changed by a new group of immigrants. We have often heard that the American culture was founded in religion, and that is true in the sense that every major American historical figure of the 17th and 18th century were religious. But it is also true in the 17th century English world that it was extremely dangerous to profess any level of nonconformity with Christianity. Now, I have already hinted at the biased perspective I have as a 21st century American, thanks to the profound influence of the Quakers on American history, culture, and society. Quakers were seen by the other Protestants as one of the most radical religious groups of their time. They posed a direct threat to the Puritans, one in which they never envisioned and never would recover from a religious group more zealous and willingly able to sacrifice their very lives for their beliefs. Quaker women would begin showing up in American cities prophetizing, speaking about this individual relationship with God, teaching of this supposed inner light, saying the Bible was just a tool for seeking spiritual liberation, heresy. Puritans believed in predestination, that God had chosen his saints, in his godly wisdom, which no man could truly understand. A Puritan's life was endlessly creating works in hopes that those works somehow showed that he was one of God's few predestined souls. Puritans had what was called in the time the terror of doubt. No matter their accomplishments, their only hope of salvation was that they could interpret a rational God's creation through his scripture to form some sort of insight into God's desires of man. A Puritan believed that a Christian should live a life filled with studied works, and through those works may already have been predestined for their salvation. Quakers shattered this notion of predestination with the idea of universal redemption. They rejected the idea that God had already decided if you would receive salvation before you ever took any actions with your life. They said that salvation was found by turning your thoughts inward and seeking God's inner light within you. 
Puritans believed in an orderly world where government's role was to place the population under a state of conformity so that the worthy population had the freedom to live a godly life away from the ungodly. Quakers sought to eliminate the ordained ministry and all other forms of governmental dictated worship. Their goal was that of a world with no gatekeepers to God. Quakers considered men and women virtually equal, even educating their children of both genders in primary education. The education of children could have perhaps been an issue that Quakers and Puritans compromised, but the Quakers also allowed women to speak and lead worship services. The Puritans considered women leading congregations as blasphemous to God. The Quakers were viewed as the return of antinomianism, and the governmental officials in the American colonies thought that they had their very own Munster on their hands. For a society which accepted this type of unnatural organization would be plunged into chaos if their populations were allowed to simply follow their consciences. The Church of England, rarely in alignment with the Puritans on anything, agreed that anyone holding Quaker beliefs was practicing blasphemy to God, and the Church, and Christianity. The governor of the New Netherlands referred to the Quakers as the worst filth leaking from that sewer called Rhode Island. The Puritans would react to the threat of Quakerism by banishing the first Quaker missionaries from New England. These women would return, knowing execution was in store for them, but also that their conviction to follow God's will would inspire others to a more godly path. Death was a burden that didn't intimidate them. This life meant nothing compared to their ultimate salvation in the next. The Puritans' application of force, which had worked for them up until now, inspired and encouraged the zealous Quakers to come in larger and larger numbers. The more the Puritans oppressed the Quakers, the more the Quakers showed up seeking their ultimate sacrifice as a sign of their devotion to God. And New England's population, you have to remember, was populated by religious outcasts and zealots. And the zealotry and devotion displayed by the Quakers started to open the hearts of the religious people of New England. Within a generation, most towns in New England would have a Quaker meeting hall, with many major towns outside of Boston being predominantly populated with Quakers, not Puritans. Quakers would go on to influence all parts of American culture, William Penn, a Quaker, would write the first constitutional framework for any government on earth in his proprietorship of Pennsylvania. In this achievement, Penn uniquely reinterpreted the framework of a colony's traditional legislative rights. Instead of stating rights were being gifted to the population, Penn's new constitutional framework instead restricted the power of government to act to threaten those protected rights and liberties of the colony's people. William Penn's Constitution for Pennsylvania is the blueprint that would later inspire the American Constitution. Thomas Jefferson would say that William Penn was the greatest American legislator. This is Season 7 of American Political History the Dominion of New England.